Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of the Inner Cry Ministries podcast. We're so glad that you're listening, and as always, we hope that what you hear today inspires you to grow deeper in your faith and more in love with Jesus. A while back, we started a really powerful series at Sunday Night at the Table called Faith. And we went through a series of teachings on what faith is and how we rest and how we operate in faith. So we're going to jump in at week one and hear Brodon teaching on faith and grace and how it correlates to create a resting place in the Father's love for us. So, um, grace and faith, what's the difference? We, the reason we asked that question was, and for those of you who were not here last week, we'll do a review, and that way you're kind of caught up, because it is very challenging, and for those who are part of our community, I really want you to hear this. This came out of a personal experience that has been happening to me for quite a long time. And I, were able, I was just had a surgery, um, and the surgery went well, and everything went great. Um, but it was a direct result of, since I was about 38 years old, having continuous problems in my body. And so, um, um, probably four times a year from 38 till about 50, um, flat of my back for two or three weeks. <clears throat> High fever, those kind of things, you know, just dealing with it regularly and it usually came at the worst of times um and in the last two years like everyone else i had a bunch of other things start happening uh and it just all kind of came to a head after the surgery i'm laying flat on my back recovering a lot slower than i wanted to and um so i'm staring at the ceiling and thinking life in a different way you know you're going hmm, maybe i should look at this differently and um the changing of the lens God was trying to do in me, and I wasn't seeing it. Um, I was trying very hard to see it, but I couldn't. And part of that had to do with some things in my life as it comes to truths in the Bible I just didn't say no to. I more like just said, okay, I don't really understand it, and I'm not sure where to go from here, so I'm just going to not receive it at all. And so <clears throat> I told the story of being at Regent University. One of the professors there, um, a, lo a lot of the students that were there were um, people who had come out of Word of Faith churches. And um, so I heard a lot of difficult stories um, over that time period that we were there about people who were being told at the worst moment in their life that they had no faith and that's the reason things were happening to them. And so um, as a reaction to that, as a person who has compassion on people, and we all do if we love the Lord, I, I just was broken by that, you know. And, and um, I'm not an anti-word of faith movement. Um, I know Kenneth Hagin's teachings. I know uh, Kenneth Copeland, and I know all of these guys, and I've listened to them. I'm not sure some of these churches were actually distilling the truth out of what they were hearing but more so as it got distilled down over time, it really had sort of, uh, it broke itself down. And, 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 and I'm going to teach that in the next couple of sessions as to why that is. Particularly in the last session, what I talked about was the reason why I think people misunderstand the power of faith and the power of grace is because they cross the lines with them. Um, and so I'm going to kind of go back through the scripture. So those of you who were not here, because if you don't get this, so those of you who were here last week, review, um, and the ones who uh, weren't, this is kind of for you, because I feel like it's important not to say this out of a vacuum, or it, it goes back to what we're talking about. You can get either too far on grace and too far on faith. Too much faith is destructive. Too much grace is destructive. If you get with grace, without faith, which is a response, then you get a person who can still look and act like they are terrible and have not changed, but on the inside, they believe with all their heart that they're forgiven, they love Jesus, and he loves them the way they are. Um, and so then you have the other side, which what you just heard was, you know, your faith determines everything. And so I hope to be able to help us put our, our faith around what's truth, right? Like uh, I said this uh, uh, last week, when we were 
in the beginning of this, the baptism of the Holy Spirit was kind of a taboo to some people in our community. So I did a four-part series, I think, where John and I did a podcast, and we talked about all the lies that are out there and all the experiences that turned out to be negative, and we just took it back to the Word. And we had a lot of people get the baptism of the Holy Spirit, not because of necessarily there was something supernatural that happened, except for this, that the truth was clear and they were able to put their faith on it and go forward with confidence. Oh, I get it, and now I will believe, right? So um, if I'm not clear on something, the last thing in the world I want to dive head first with before I find out there's water in the pool. So um, I hope that helped people with where I'm going. But I want to say this. <clears throat> last week we discovered um, that... There's something really important to find in the scriptures when it comes to how the God used Abraham in a powerful way. And, and when we see in Ephesians, we see this amazing conversation where Paul is telling us what has happened inside of us and how that is a work of God that is separate from us. So let's look at the scriptures and let's define grace, okay? So it says here, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. This is before Jesus, right? Some of you in here are going, oh no, I still do that. Um, if that's you, let's talk afterwards. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. By grace, you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now look at that right there, that statement. It's very important for your grace's power to understand your position. I am raised up by him to be with him. Do you see that? He raised me up. I'm not climbing there. I've been raised up. This is a past tense, by the way, too, in the Greek. Raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places, but most importantly, in Christ Jesus, who, by the way, is seated at the right hand of the Father. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Now, there's something really unique here. Immeasurable riches of his grace, that's the key. What he did in the previous sentence, seating us at the right hand of the Father, that's the immeasurable riches of his grace through the extension of his kindness to us. Why? Because grace is, by definition, unmerited and undeserved, meaning it is a gift, okay? So that means you and I receive it as a gift. If I receive something as a gift, there is no reward okay, because I did something for it. So a gift from God, charis, is in fact something that you didn't deserve, meaning that you didn't smile real well, and I thought, oh, you, you're, you have such a great smile here. No, it, it, that's a different kind of gift. Or an, another gift is, well, I just didn't, I felt so sorry for you, and I just thought, wow, you didn't get anything, so here's my consolation gift, right? Still, it has something behind it that defines it based on your behavior. Grace caris is a very unique word. And this particular thing says that we did nothing on our end to deserve it. Or we did nothing on our end to prompt it. Why do we know that? Romans 4 and 5 tells us that while we were still in our sin, God chose us right? He chose to save us through his son. Wow, that's powerful. In other words, when I was at my worst, he was going, that one's mine. 
what he's saying is that God loves you because of his choice to love you no matter who or what you are. It's his choice to value you to the level that he would give his own son as a sacrifice. That's a choice, but it's called favor. Once it's expressed and received, it's an act of favor. Okay, well, notice what I just said. Once it's expressed and then received, it's an act of favor. But to access it, that's a different thing. For you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift. Now this looks simple. It looks like what I just described is just referencing that. But that is not what that says. In fact, if you go look at all the translations, it has a funny little change at the end. And several translations indicate that your faith is part of the gift. It's really weird. So I had to go back and look at the Greek, and it was pretty fascinating what I found when I found the Greek. You are saved. Now, this is we'll get to later in another session. Sozo is where we get the word healed. We also translate it salvation. And that's going to be in another down the road And I'll end this session with teaching with some of that in just a minute. So by grace, unmerited, undeserved, unsolicited favor of God, through faith, which is assurance, believe, a belief in, and entrusted to, or to lean upon. And this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift. Now notice the word gift. See, because if you look at that, that means just a gift. But this is more than that. Here, because remember, garis, caris, is actually the word, it means gift. So when you look at this word, God's gift, doran, it's present, and it's presenting an offering, a sacrifice unto God, not to man, but on behalf of man's sin. Mm. So in other words... Jesus, this particular time in Hebrews 5.1, Jesus was the high priest. He went to God with an offering, which was himself, and he offered himself as that sacrifice. He is the high priest who this Doron was a gift that was brought to the altar of God for the sins of the people. And all throughout the New Testament, it's an offering according to the temple. So here, the Doron was Jesus himself. So if we read this and we go back, you, for you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. What does he mean now? This gift is not from yourselves, it is from Jesus Christ, who is the Doron, from us to God on our behalf. Think about that. So God needed a sacrifice, an offering for sin. Jesus became the high priest and offered us in our place the sacrifice, the propitiation, the substitution for our sin, Jesus Christ himself. He became the perfect high priest. One offering, one time, one door on, and for perfect satisfaction of God. It says in Isaiah that it pleased the Father, that the Son was the substitution for our sin and the wrath that was for us. Come on. This is an incredible gift. So when we see that the Doron was given on our behalf, doesn't it really release anything that you do? Look, it's not just that you have been saved by grace, that's the unmerited favor of God, but God became the sacrifice for you. He became it. 
So it's not just that he favors you or that you are his and that you've got favorite written on your forehead because I am his favorite. And the mystery is, as we all are, wow. However, what I'm trying to show you here is is that if we don't see this in the scriptures and we don't read it correctly, we just kind of pass over it and it's almost like the scripture becomes this trite. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm saved by grace. Okay, yeah, I've heard that a million times. You better listen, though, because you have to apply your faith to that grace. Is the work finished? See, that's the first question I have for you. In your heart is all of your sins the work of God finished. You know it in your head, but every day when you fall prey to not being enough, when you fall short and your life falls short of the mark of God, that you see that he has set before you, what happens? Do you believe this? Or do you play it over and over in your head, like, wait, 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 I'm saved by grace, I'm saved by grace, I'm saved by grace. Or do you have the finished work in your soul? Do you see that Jesus was a sufficient Doron for you? That he completed the work? And that you really cannot say, yeah, Brodan, if you only knew. If you really just knew me, you would know, uh, yeah, I'm not like the rest of you guys. Whew. Trust me, you need to sit down with me sometime and hear my sins. What did someone once say? If you knew me like you know yourself, you wouldn't trust me any more than you trust yourself. Truth is, is that the Doron has to be perfect. Where, where is faith without it? Because if you have faith in a rickety ship to cross a massive sea, you're not going to feel really good about stepping into the boat. But if it's the steel hull of the most powerful ship on the universe and you step into it, you have total faith in it, right? So last week, those of you who weren't here, you missed out on my office chair. It was really pretty. It was a gift from a friend, and I so enjoy sitting in it when I'm in my office reading and studying because I'm getting older, and when you sit long, your legs fall asleep. So, no comments. Anyway, so I sat down in the chair and I said, the truth is, is faith is a certain thing, but I'm going to share tonight something different about the chair. You see, the thing is, is faith is about rest. It is about coming into belief. And I'm going to get into that one in just a minute. But I have to know that when I sit down, notice how much weight I put in that thing. Yeah, there's a lot there that just hit those back legs. It even kind of reared up a little bit. So if that chair had any compromise in it, my trust in it would have been tested, and it might have caused me to hit the floor. When we were kids, we used to kick those plastic chairs when somebody would be leaning back in them, and you kick it, and the leg would pop off. Did you all ever do that to anybody? Nobody in here did that, did you? Just me. Um... So it was always fun to watch somebody go down who was being, you know, tilting back in the chairs and you break the leg. The trust in the chair was not, uh, it was not justified when you have buddies running around waiting for an opportunity. But I will say this. This chair, I knew when I sat down that it was going to hold me. Why did I know? Well, it has nothing to do with my sons assembling it because we have some in here that are not necessarily that, that well put together. Yeah, there's a couple of them. So, um, uh, and some of the youth reach guys did it. So we're going to give it all to my sons. I'll take a little bit of that. We, we had a great time in here. We were all having fun and it kind of went south real quick. But I want to say this. I, I, I know that chair because we ordered it and I've sat in it hundreds of times, that particular type. D did you notice something I was telling you, but you know, how many times have you come in here and sat down? Did it ever enter your mind that the chair would collapse? No, none of you, especially these. They're all steel-based. Never entered your mind, and you all plopped down tonight, and when you sat down, before your behind hit the chair, did it enter your mind, oh, my gosh, this might fall with me? 
No. So you already have perfect faith in the chair. Why? Because the chair is perfect to believe in. You will not fall. So what we're talking about here is the perfect sacrifice of Christ. You see, you can't have faith in something that's wicked. If my chair over there had a leg that was kind of wobbly, I might sit in it, but I would gingerly sit down. And then I might have my weight on my legs for a little bit. See? So it's really not about my faith, is it? It's more about the finished work. Is it really finished in my heart? It's what you have faith in. If Jesus didn't finish your work, it's hard to have faith in that. Are you, are you tracking with me? All right, so let's go to the next one. Romans 4, the story of faith. For those of you who weren't here last week, um, this is a powerful story. Um, and what we talked about was Abraham's journey because in Abraham was called the father of our faith. So we're going to talk about faith based on Abraham's journey because Abraham was the living example. What we have is 26 years of journey. He was, I believe, 70-something years old when God spoke to him and said, leave his land. And then he chose to leave based on this conversation that he had with God, and God made him a promise. He said, if you will leave this land, there were several things that happened at the very beginning. One is that he would first give him a new land. Second, that he would give him a child. And first of all, that was, that, that was not going to happen because here he was an old man and so was his wife. And there was no children in them because they had, they, she was barren. So the third thing he told him is that out of that child, he would build a great nation of him. So it was a promise from God. Now, y'all need to stay with me on this word promise. I want you to take note that I said promise from God. Okay? This is the part that we miss, and this is why most of us don't understand the journey. The thing is, is God made a promise to him that he would do something. So now we have this promise that God's going to give three major things to him. And he acts on it. How does he act on it? He gives him instructions. Go to the new land. Leave your family behind. This is what we're going to do. So he goes to the new land. The Bible says that God credited him to righteousness. He gave him righteousness. Did you hear me hear the, the word gave? He gifted him righteousness. What? 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 Yeah, in fact, his act of belief was what we call God's righteousness. So you and I cannot produce righteousness that is from God. We can produce right behavior. We can do true things. We can live by laws and rules and do them well. But the problem is our own heart. Our motives are not always pure. And you can do the right thing on the outside and it's not the right thing on the inside. Ever do something really nice to someone on the outside, but on the inside you're doing it for selfish reasons? How many times have you done that and you thought you were doing the right thing? Right? Like you don't even know sometimes the motive of your own heart. So how can we perfect righteousness when our hearts deceive us? So what God knows is he knows the state of our heart and he calls us to the same righteous behavior of Jesus Christ. Oh, that's impossible. There's no way I can be righteous like God. Why would you set a bar so high, God? Ah, I set that bar so high because I promise you I'm going to produce that. So he takes a man who does not have a child, who's an old man, and his wife is old and past childbearing age, and he says, I'm going to make a great nation through you and your wife. <laughs> yeah, right. What's interesting, though, is that we read in Romans chapter 4 that Paul says that Abraham was unwavering in his faith even when he recognized the age of his own body and his wife's, he was unwavering in his faith. Well, I'm going to tell you tonight 
some of you looked at that and probably went, hmm, it don't look unwavering to me. Well, that's because your view of faith had to do with your behavior. And so when you saw his behavior not lined up with righteousness, you were like, hmm. I don't know, telling everyone my wife was my sister so I didn't get killed. I mean, that's what he did. Uh, you know, he, God told him to leave his whole family and he brought his nephew and his father who died on the way, right? Then he lied about his wife twice. Listen, I, I'm telling you this. And then his pinnacle moment is when his wife talked him into using his maidservant, her maidservant, as the opportunity to fulfill God's promise. And Paul still says he was unwavering in his faith. He created an Ishmael, and Ishmael ends up being a danger to the promise that God has. So God tells him to take his 17-year-old son and send him down the road with his mother, of which if God hadn't intervened, they would have both died. Doesn't look good. I don't know about y'all, but my firstborn son, I don't care if he's Ishmael, he's leaving me, and I'm saying he cannot come back. Horrific. Horrific. I can guarantee you, as his son is walking away, he feels totally, utterly like he failed his whole family and God. And Paul, writing about it, says he was unwavering in his faith. Hmm. So last week I said this. If God told us through Paul, the Holy Spirit speaking to us, is telling us that he was unwavering, then that means that what he was saying was, Paul never, I mean, uh, Abraham never stopped believing what the Father told him. And that was, I'm going to give you a nation, and I'm going to give you an offspring. And why? Because he said, okay, then it must be, Hagar, did he make a mistake? He did. He misinterpreted his faith, and he went the wrong direction multiple times. But he learned over 26 years how that works. And then when he was at the point where his faith was trusting totally in God, his heart had been circumcised from 26 years of following that faith. And God said, now you understand that the flesh cannot produce the promise. Now cut away and circumcise your body and your children as a symbol and then throw the flesh to the ground as a symbol of the completion of what's in your heart. So if you open your Bibles, and if you have your digital Bibles, you can open those. So I want to remind you in Romans, while you're looking, I want you to go to, to Romans chapter 4. And while you're going there, I'm going to read from Romans 5 too. He says, through whom we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of sharing the glory of God. Access by faith. We come into access of this beautiful grace by faith. And faith is nothing more than believing, trusting, and leaning upon God. There's a reason why in Song of Solomon, after the, the Shulamite bride has been through everything, it says at the end, she comes up out of the desert leaning on her lover. The lean is, I've been through the wilderness and I know what it's like and I know my limitations and I'm leaning on my lover. So what she had done is her heart had been circumcised from all the pride places that I've got this God even though I'm with you. So you and I, the journey of faith is that we believe, but we don't always get it right. We always tend to have these places in us where our flesh tries to do what God is wanting us to do. And then in that process, we fail. And the failure feels like we no longer are equipped or capable of doing what God wants. And we pull back in shame or guilt or failure. And what happens is, our faith was not in question. Our ability and our flesh is what needed to be overcome. And so 
the truth is is that God is growing each one of us as a spiritual being into the victory in this flesh so that we learn to allow the Holy Spirit to lead us in every aspect of our lives so we are body, soul, and spirit. If you are spirit and God's spirit and your spirit are one, I don't want to lose everyone here, then his spirit lives in you and his intent is to complete the work of Christ fully through you. I am saved, I am being saved, and I shall be saved. I am saved from the condemnation and the punishment of sin. I'm being saved from um, the power of sin over me through flesh, my flesh. And I shall be saved from this body of sin when I am totally with God and out of this body. That process of faith walk is there is a promise for you. A promise of completion. There is a promise. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. Your journey is to start Alpha and become the Omega. Jesus is the finished work. Whatever he is as a human being, whatever he was as a human being, whatever he is as the Son of God, it was everything that God wants to accomplish in you. And the Holy Spirit is set in you and hardcore set in you to do this work. So knowing the difference between grace and faith allows you to move quickly in both directions in the right way. First, understanding grace. Second, understanding faith. Faith is trust, but it also is rest. Faith and rest are combined. How do you know that? If you have faith, you will rest. Hello? Because if I believe, if I trust in the Lord, and if I have belief in him, if I'm leaning on him, to lean on him is to rest on him. Take my yoke, Jesus said, for my burden is light and easy. Hello? So what he's saying is, is that the lean into him, the lean into our lover, produces a place of rest. But go back to your grace if the sacrifice isn't sufficient. If the work in you is not complete in your spirit man, then none of this can be completed in you because you will resist it and, and not allow it to happen. You will fall back into guilt and shame and pull back from the work of God in your heart. Now, God's so gracious and powerful, and we're going to talk about his spirit in you. He's not going to let you get off by that easy, though. <laughs> uh, he's not going to let you get off that easy. So when I step into faith, so I'm receiving grace by faith, through faith. So here's through faith. This is believing in God. Because remember, if this chair is grace, I'm sitting down in the Lord. I'm resting in his work. I am trusting in it. Instead of this constant, you know, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do? I got to do this. I got to do that. I got to do this. I got to do that. And the Lord is saying, wait, wait. The complete work in you has to be the truth. And until you come into grace... Caris. What is this chair? You ready? Those who were here last week, they know what it is, right? Who is this chair? It's the Lord. Because the chair, if it's grace, John chapter 1, verse 14, he is the fullness of grace. Jesus Christ. The law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace is Christ. He is the Doran. So when I come into the abiding life, now this gets into John 14 and 15 where it says, if you abide in me, I will abide in you and my Father and I will come and make our home in you and we will make ourselves known to you. We, wow. And how do you do that? Oh, it's abide. And what is abide? 
I spent years trying to figure that out. Guess what abide is? Watch, this is it. So you come into this place of abide, and what happens is there's a great download. Is it because you abide, and God now is going to honor that and reward you? Nope. That's not how that works. The truth is, if that's my chair, or my grace, or my place of abide, there's a download already there waiting on me. Every day, God has a download for you. There's a download of assignment and heaven and love and kisses of his word and powerful intimacy with you every single day. It's waiting for you. It's like the radio signals in this room right now. If we had a radio, we could pick them all up. Right? As I said a couple weeks ago or last week, there's probably Journey playing in here somewhere because it's on every radio station at twice, three times a day. So if I could pick up that song, I'm not going to sing it, no. I don't sing. I don't sing. Mm-mm. I make a joyful noise. Um, but if I move into grace, what I'm saying to the Lord is, I want to pick up the download of heaven. And so I'm coming into the grace that I might receive what is mine. It's not, I, it's not, you see now, look, here's the deal though. If you start to strive, you pray more, read more, teach more, you do all these things, you live this pure and holy life, and then you step into that abiding life and there's a download, you can get in your mind like, oh, it's because I prayed more, I read more, I did Ooh. And then you back in the, on the treadmill of performance and works. But let me just say this. This chair is the busiest place in the world because when the love of God pours out upon you in your grace, all of a sudden you don't have, you, your heart explodes for everyone around you eventually. And you do like me and Miss Krista. You run yourself into the ground because you love people so much. Because you get the download of their heart every time you sit down. Now, what I'm trying to say to each one of you is that there is a download for all of us that is the same. Some of us are gifted more than others. And the measure of your gifts will determine the expression of your gifts. But we're all expressing something. Are you expressing heaven? Or are you expressing you? <laughs> right? Some of you looked at me with a stone cold face like, what? Um, <clears throat> all right, so let's keep going. Where's my time? Oh, Jesus, take the wheel. Okay, this is the last part here. I'll try to get through with this tonight. And I'm going to open this one up. This is a big can opener. So we've reviewed everything. So I want you to hear this. So verse 18 of chapter five, 4. Are you all there? Let's go to verse 17. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. This is, uh, we're back at uh, Abraham's journey. In the presence of the God in whom we believe. Did you notice that? who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, Abraham believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, you, so shall your offspring be. This is the promise. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver. Wow. No unbelief. So he made all these really crazy mistakes along the way. Does that sound familiar? Like, just because you make a mistake doesn't mean you don't have faith. Because sometimes your yes is still speaking, even though you're not saying it. Think about your life. 
Some of you in here, you said yes five years ago to something that God told you to do and it moved you across the country or into a different career or you're focused in a different way and you married a different person and you have different children. All of the things you said yes to years ago are now a direct result. See, the yes, the yes is still going on. Every step you take is still the yes. Abraham left Chaldees and went to what is now Israel. Because he was in the yes, he was always believing. Think about it. He could have went back to the old land. He could have went back to the familiar. He was still walking it out. You're not going to look pretty in faith. When you say yes, sometimes it's ugly. It's ugly and then beautiful. The relationship with God is beautiful. But the things you do as you say yes... And it looks ugly right now, but guess what? That's my yes. That's my yes. And you know what God sees? He sees your yes. Because it is his power and his grace that produces the righteous act. Come on. Because your righteousness is filthy rags. His righteousness is perfect. So my effort as I express my belief produces his righteousness. Ready? Now watch this. Here we go. Quickly brought on. They, these people got at home. They got kids. Fully convinced, verse 22, that God had made it able to do what he had promised. God was able to do what he had promised. That's the answer to the faith. That, that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Watch what I'm doing. I did this last week. Here's your greatest act of pure, holy righteousness. Grace, Jesus Christ. Here's your greatest act of righteousness. That's it. Think about that. To believe is to rest. To rest is to believe. Hebrews chapter 4. He who has entered into the rest of God has ceased from his own works. His own works. The rest of God and God's trusting in him are the same. Watch. You're like, okay now, Brodon, I'm not sure if I'm following you. Verse 23, but the words, if it is counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who what? Believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So verse 24 and 23 tells us that our promise is not a new land, although it is. It's a new body and a new future and a new Jerusalem and a new earth. But our promise is that we're forgiven completely and perfectly our promise is that if we will just trust him then he will make us like Jesus our promise is is that we will be with him for eternity our promise is, is that if we will live faithfully to what's been given to us then there will be rewards for us on the other side our promise is that he will do all the work. I mean, think about it. Abraham was an old man. And his wife was past childbearing days. The baby's name was Isaac because she laughed at God when he told her she was going to have a baby, which I would have too. She was 80-something years old. <laughs> right? Yeah, sure. Right? And then the Lord told her, you laughed. No, I did not. Nothing like honesty to God. Romans 5 says this, so beautiful right here, and then we're going to finish up. God, help me get there. Jesus. In this he says, uh, I believe it's verse 17. Go to verse uh, 17. Uh, 15. Let's start there. So this is going to open up the can of worms for us. Verse 15. But are y'all there? Everybody there? 
Romans uh, Romans 5 verse 15 but the free gift is not like the trespass for if many died through one man's trespass much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man Jesus Christ abounds for many and the free gift now watch this this word free gift here this is extremely important in the Greek the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin but the judgment following the one's transgression led to condemnation but the free gift following the many transgressions led to justification for if my transgression of the one man death reigned through that one much more will those who receive or lambano who they reach and grab out there's your word the key to faith lambano the Greek word access you have to take what's yours so for those of you who think you're forgiven for all your sins until you take what has been given to you and put it in your life that grace does not apply to you and you can say in your head all day long well I'm forgiven for my sins until your last breath you are but you must lambano this grace and how do we do that well it doesn't take a strong arm that looks like I'm having to work it's this coming into Christ coming into the promise of forgiveness but that also means this is a place of abiding I don't come here and then get up and run off and live in sin because I'm free now but instead if this really is genuinely a place of power and grace and Christ paid the price for this and it is a free gift and I understand that gift and I am totally forgiven then sin should no longer be to my appeal in other words I have a stewardship to take care of and that is if I've been given so much then it, I'm very responsible for what I do with it and the do is not anything other than a yes and a trust and a continue to walk in it but there are other acts of faith and we'll get into that later but I just need you to get the rest part down so let's go to Hebrews um, I want you to go to now Hebrews because uh, some of you are like really is this, is this really true like you sure Hebrews chapter 3 verse 7 through 19 I'm just going to hit this real quick though because we'll come out on it next week but watch this I'm not going to share all of it let's just do this Israel was going into the promised land Hebrews tells us that as they were heading into the promise God brought them up to the promised land and they refused to go in and, and, and the writer of Hebrews tells the church 1900 years ago this is a living example for us. Wow. What is it a living example of? That if you don't enter into the rest of God, the rest of God, then it's considered unbelief and rebellion. What? That's strange. See, the children of Israel, it says here, if you go down, like um, verse 7, Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. He says, on the day of the testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test, to the distrust. Sounds like the opposite word of faith, right? Trust. Though they had seen my works for 40 years, therefore I was angry with this generation and said, they are always going astray in their hearts and they have not known my hodos, my ways. They have not known my way. My way of rest. So I swore in my anger they shall never enter into my rest. Wow. And that word rest there, it actually 
it says the act of giving rest, a state of settled or finality or rest, a place of abode. Isn't that great? So he says here, be careful, brothers. This is talking to the church at the time. Lest there be any of you having an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Now, most of us would think of that as like going out and doing something evil. He's not talking about that. He's actually talking about believing that God couldn't be this good. He couldn't be this incredible, that the grace could not be that life-changing. And that that too scandalous, and that God didn't really bring us out here into the desert to give us a beautiful new land with all the milk and honey, but he brought us here so that these giants could kill us. That's exactly what they said. And they refused to go in. And sometimes on our journey, we forget the goodness of God. And then when we come to that moment when God says, come along, we begin to think that God expects way too much out of us because we believe that this is not a place of rest, but a place of striving. And he's raised the bar so high, and I've got to meet that bar. And I strive and strive and strive and strive until I finally just give out. And he says... That is unbelieving heart, which leads to rebellion. And so what's happened is that he's saying to us here, for we have become partners of Christ, in, if in fact we hold the beginning of our confidence firm to the end. As it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. For we were they who heard the rebellion and rebelled were they not who were they who heard and rebelled verse 16 were they not really all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses and who with whom was he angry for 40 years was it not those who sinned whose bodies fell in the wilderness and to whom did he swear they will not enter his rest except those who refuse to obey so then we see that they were unable to enter the rest of God because they could not believe. Wow. It's extremely powerful. Everything in my being says the opposite. To trust in faith is profoundly difficult. To do this is so hard. This is the work of God, to believe and to rest in God. It's extremely busy, and God does the work, and it's hard to stay up with his beauty, his majesty, and his power, and his grace, and all the wonderful things that he does. And the enemy don't like you because of where you are, and he will try to pull you out of this place. So it's a war. But your biggest war is inside. Your biggest war is your own flesh, your own carnal mind. Romans 8 says the carnal mind is at enmity with God. It believes that God does not have its best interest. So if you let your carnal mind take over, it will start to argue that God is against you and not for you. So... Now we're going to start to apply this. Faith is not something that moves God's grace. God's grace is the finished work of Christ. And it's not the lack of faith, whether God has already produced it, it's already produced. The healing of God, the restoration of salvation is all there. It's complete. Does Jesus still need to do something to save us? What did he say on the cross? It is finished. The work of man, Jesus did. Carried it to the cross, and it was crucified with him. And then by the power of God that works the same work in us, he was raised from the dead, which will raise you too to life. That's the thing I must believe in. 
To trust is not some sort of works. To trust is to rest. And so when someone tells you, you say, they say, you didn't have enough faith. Look at them and you go, yeah, no, but I will next time. Let me tell you a story. So last week, I talked to the people about my health, and I said the, the operation went well. And as I was putting last week's session together, I knew it. I could feel it. Like, I'm drawing a line in the sand with the enemy on this area of my life. And all of you who know me well from the past, you know that this does not go away. Some of the people in here are really faith, believe in God for healing. They just got so frustrated with me in the past. Like, you've got to get it, brother. You've got to get healed. And I'm like, yeah. And then I'd get sick again. And so the way I got sick was it would go on for a week to a week and a half, and the fever would get really high, 101, 102, 103, and then I infection would set in, and I would have to have antibiotics. Same scenario every time. And it was so discouraging because I would be down for eight, ten days. I was kind of out of it. And so it used to be three weeks. It got God's faith. I trust of the Lord. I'm going to get there. And I'd get it down to a week, you know. Well, after last Sunday night, um, Wednesday, I started getting sick with the very thing that I told you all about. And by uh, Thursday afternoon, I had a really high fever, and I went and just laid down in bed. And I said, okay, this is pretty much it. Okay. I spoke it, devils, I'm going to believe. And for just a split second, my faith was what I was hanging on. It was almost just instinctively in my heart to say, oh, this is about my faith. It's not about your faith. It's about the finished work of Christ. It's easy to put faith in that heavy chair as it is to put in Jesus Christ's finished work. So what happened was the first two hours my fever went so high, I was like just sweating and I refused to take any medicine. I refused to take any antibiotics. I'm going to be healed. But I felt all the works coming out in me like, but I have to, I have to believe, I have to believe, I have to believe. And then the Lord spoke to me and said, did I complete the work in you? Yes, you did. And he took me to Ephesians 1, 3, and it's this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Second Peter, I believe it's 1, 3, or yeah, 1, 3 says that the work that is in you is the complete work. It is finished. By his stripes you are sozo, salvation, healing. Well, wait a minute, brother. are you saying that we're all healed? That's a great question. That's a great question. Does everyone in here look like Jesus all the time? Hmm. Are you saved? Hmm. So sometimes in the same way that your flesh and your carnal mind can have its way and you operate in the flesh, the same way sickness can creep in through the lies in our hearts and in our minds and cripple us in our sickness. Do I believe all sicknesses like that? Can't prove that to you. But I think about 99.9% is. So it's really not about how much faith you have. It's about how much power and grace and authority that God has finished the work inside of you. And all it is is trusting in that, leaning on that. It's not that the muscle of faith has to carry the weight. Because I noticed that I started carrying the weight of the sickness. So by Thursday night, it was pretty bad. My wife was coming back from Texas. I did not tell her. She got home late. She walked in and she was like, what's up with you? Oh, I'm good. And uh, she got in the bed. She goes, you're sick. 
you need to go to the doctor. You know, I mean, that's what spouses do. You, when you need this, you need to take this. You need to do this. You need to do that. And I was like, no, I got this. I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm going through it. Um, that's, not, that's not how you do it, by the way. Um, uh, but what happened was, is somewhere in the middle of the night, it flipped. At about three in the morning, my fever was so high. And I just was, head was pounding. And, and of course, it, it does take antibiotics to get over this, by the way. So I just need, need you to know this is powerful. Never in my journey have I not taken antibiotics and, and got over this. This requires serious antibiotics. I took no antibiotics, and I stand before you tonight completely healed. No antibiotics. But the first 24 hours was tough. I took no pills at all, no Tylenol, no Advil for the pain, nothing. The fever broke. The next day was tough. But about midday, I just, all of a sudden I went, wait a minute, what in the world? That quick. And all I did was I just kept reminding God of his finished work. You did all of it at the cross. It is finished. See, it's a rest. It is finished. So what I was needing to do was sit down in the sozo of God. Not, it was just had to rest in the sozo of God. Once I found that rhythm, I was like, man, it was hard to get here. My flesh was fighting it all the way. I was trying to earn every bit of it. My flesh wanted to earn it. Come on. Hello. And what happens is there's a rhythm with faith that when you find it, something else happens in you, and you step over the line, and there's all of a sudden this new place with you and the Lord. So don't let anyone throw a stone at you anymore and say, the reason you're not is because you don't have enough faith. Look at him and go, huh, <laughs> yeah, I know. But guess what? It won't be long. And this failure is my opportunity for success. Because in the kingdom, 70 is not passing. Actually, a zero sometimes is the best passing grade. I'm telling you. Peter... His graduation was denying Jesus three times. That was his graduation because he learned what was Peter and was not what was not God real quick. So what I'm trying to say to each and every one of us is that if we'll say yes to the Lord in your journey of healing, that he will take over everything. So... Part of next week, and here's your, here's your little seed for next week, is the promise of God from, to Abraham was new land, this, that, this, right? And in many nations. The promise of God to you and I is the gift, the dorei, which is the gift of righteousness. Now we're going to talk about the equipping of you with power. You see, grace includes the Holy Spirit because the gift of righteousness is the dorei, which is not the doran. It's not from man to God. It's from God to man, which is our promise. You see, the new covenant is the Holy Spirit in you. And the sozo of God is that the salvation of God, the seal of God, is God in you. It's the fulfillment of the new covenant. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So the very dorei is in fact, which is the Greek word for the gift from God, the gift of righteousness. So my gift of righteousness is when I sit down in Jesus. Abide in me and I will abide in you. And then Jesus says to his disciples, and this is for next week, who were filled, by the way, who had the Holy Spirit, he said, wait until you receive 
the promise. See, remember the promise to Abraham? The promise that he believed in? The believing in the promise of God. Your belief, your faith is in him, not in you. Your belief and your faith is in his promise, which is the Holy Spirit in you. And we're going to get into that next time. Because that turns grace into a whole nother level. The charis then becomes the reason why we understand the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the gifts. Wait till you receive the promise. This is the power that will allow you to be like Christ, the testimony of Jesus Christ. If you've been enjoying the Intercrime Ministries podcast, we'd like to offer an opportunity to you to become partners with us. Intercrime Ministries is a nonprofit, and we rely fully on support from our community and listeners like yourself. If you'd like to partner with us today, check out our website at www.intercry.org and click on Give. Thanks again. We'll see you next time. Thank you.